mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good evening. No. Good evening. <laughs> so you were trying to say. I tell you what, let's just do all of them. Good morning. Hello. Good afternoon. Good mid-morning. Happy Christmas. Right, it's off air um, with me, Jane Garvey. Uh, me, Fee Glover. Me, Fee Glover. Yes. Um, now, Fee uh, has had some ground to make up with me today. She did bring chocolates in for me. Uh, she owes me a little bit of a favour. Oh, we can't discuss what it is, but of course we can discuss what it is. So I bought you a small packet of chocolates, uh, and I bought did buy yes, some for the team as could well. Could have been bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was just say thank you because you're mm. you're going off to do a show tonight, and usually we do a show together. But I can't make it tonight because mm. it is a very long way away from where I live, very and, close to where you live, and also I've got a parents' evening on yeah. Zoom. So you are stepping up to the plate, and you're doing it all on your own. And yeah. can I say that you've been Absolutely thrilled ever since we decided that. Right. I think you're going to expand onto the stage. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, plenty of value. Value, good value. You won't miss her for a single second. I think you'll probably make sure that that is the impression that the audience has. And sooner and later, this will be off air with me, Jane Garvey. Just, just, you could stop that sentence earlier. Just it's off air with me. And you'll be a thing of the past. Oh, Ben, it's the no. sound of the sister cracking. Can um, you hear it? I tell you what, though, I only I was only fortunate enough to attend one parent's evening on Zoom because it didn't happen for me. The timing yeah. hasn't been so, so presumably they just don't they don't occur occur when scouts there don't occur in real life anymore. No, I really? think everybody decided that they were just a far far better way of doing things because nobody has to you know stay late after school in a drafty sports hall mm. with just this. I mean, I don't know at what point parents and kids lose the ability to queue. But it doesn't ever happen, does it? Can be it? very tense, actually, can't it? Oh, I just I never enjoyed them. No, there was some big banging music coming through, wasn't there? What's that? And some men shouting. I think the testosterone levels have gone up in this building since the World Cup started. Do you think that's what it is? I do, I do think so. There's been a lot more shouting. Anyway, I always remember the worst cue would always be for the maths teacher, because there'd be an awful lot of tension in that cue as well, because. It's just a fact that, unfortunately, you probably do need to, well, do as well as you possibly can in maths, don't you? Don't you think? I guess I'm just trying to think, actually. I'm pretty sure that there were substantial cues around all sorts of subjects, actually. But but also there was just that terrible reticence that all kids have about having to overhear somebody else's parents talking to one of their oh, yeah. friends and the teacher being involved. I always quite fancied hearing oh. that. Just the, the whole thing was terrible. But now it's bish bash bosh. And also, uh, uh, you know, the, the schools can choose the limit of their time. I have heard of one school that just allows three and a half minutes per well, session. Yeah, we mustn't ever forget, of course, that if parents' evenings are a bit of a, an oh, ache for teachers. For teachers, it must be truly oh. terrible. 
it's the fag end of the day and they've got to make small talk with a bunch of dunderheads and then try and think of something to say about their ghastly offspring yeah. no it's awful yeah and also can i just say that i always used to really really worry about this parents evening in the in the winter term just the amount of germs <laughs> circulating yeah. around a sport. They were super spreaders and no mistake. So yes, that's where I'll be tonight. But right. you'll be on stage. Darling, you'll be marvellous. Darling, darling, on you will. stage. Yes, yes, you will. Yeah. Um, hi both, says Victoria. In answer to your aversion to a microwave jacket potato, Jane, I'm sure someone else has sent this idea in, but bake potatoes in the microwave for a few minutes, then in the oven to crisp them up works a treat says victoria nobody else did suggest that victoria and i have never done that and i am going to do that next time what i actually did yesterday was text my eldest child who's quite an accomplished reasonably adult person and ask her to stick the oven on which she did and then she slightly haphazardly wedged a couple of spuds in the oven as well they were nowhere near done by the time i got home and actually we didn't eat till about half past seven i was done to a crisp potato myself by the time that rolled round. I think there's there's nothing more disappointing in the kitchen than opening your oven door, giving your baked potatoes a squidge and they're still really firm because yeah. you do know that you're an hour away from supper. Well, absolutely. Yes. Mm. Uh, do, we, we, do you want to know what we accompanied them with? Go on. Fill my world with dreams, Joan. <laughs> Vegan bolognese. That I, okay. that I fat, you know, when you've got the Tupperware in the freezer, um, and I, I try to label everything, but I hadn't labeled this, so it was just some sort of, it was sort of reddish, and I thought, oh, well, probably it might be some sort of mince. I'll get, I'll get it out, and it, it was, and it was, it was more or less edible. Yeah, I know it wasn't. To be honest, if anybody had seen us last night, it wasn't exactly the household of the stars. But anyway, look. Two small women living together, both working. This is what you're going to do in the evening. People yeah. can relate to By that. the way, uh, she means her and her daughter. Jane and I don't live together. Well, Jane yes, and we Fee, <laughs> we do not. Only last Friday, during a leg wax, I asked my beauty therapist the very same question, how to deal with HRT patch residue. Oh, this is a good one, isn't it? Yeah. I think this is a huge feature now, Jane. Yeah. Uh, Lorraine will be doing it within days. The top of my thighs look like a patchwork quilt of little grubby outlines. <laughs> the lovely Amanda from Anne So Beautiful Salon in Peterborough go there every everyone, confirms what Fee said, baby oil or similar, such as olive oil or coconut oil. And she demonstrated by way of wiping away the aforementioned grubby outlines. Can I also say how marvellous it is to be treated by therapists who are around the same age range as me, rather than by newly qualified younger women? Not to disrespect such women, everybody starts somewhere. However, the years of life experience make for very enjoyable chats during treatments alongside the years of professional experience I benefit from love the show etc etc from Rebecca in brackets age 53 and 11 twelfths which by my reckoning means you've got a birthday to look forward to over the festive period Rebecca very many happy returns from us and I could not agree with you more I my heart sings with joy when I see a therapist my own age and we always have cracking chats about kids, some of them have got grandchildren. <laughs> you know, the question is asked, what were you doing? I don't know. Uh, and it's just lovely, actually. I find it um, I find it quite intimidating sometimes when I'm with a very young beauty Well, therapist. that's what, I mean, it's the same as um, my relationship with my hairdresser. Uh, yes, I, I have one. I knew that, just to cut that comment off. Um, Debbie has had the good fortune to cut my hair now for some decades. And... <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? And I, I just, I just find it a very, very comfortable, relaxing experience. What was her name? 
Debbie. Debbie, I'm going to get in touch with her, see how she feels. Right. I think I'm a reasonable... I th- I'm a regular. I've got a loyalty card. I tip. I turn up and I'm full of chat. What's wrong with that? I think I tick every box. Nothing. It was just the phrase. Debbie has had the good fortune to cut my hair. <laughs> well, she quite enjoys my hair because there's a lot of it. <laughs> uh, right. Should we talk about our big interview today, which I think we were both worried about might be a little on the doer side, but actually I thought it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was Rachel Kelly, who's a mental health campaigner and a writer. And she's written an excellent book, actually, that I, I read some years ago and interviewed her about called Black Rainbow from Memory. And that's, she had, as she describes in the interview, she had a, a very, very bad spell of shockingly bad mental health when she was in her 30s. And like a, a lot of incredibly accomplished and, and um, able women, she she crashed, I think, when she, when she had two young children. Absolutely no shame in that. And of course, it can happen to any woman at any time, any person at any time. Um, but I think there is something around that time in your life, isn't there, where everything is... It's it's hard. It's it's really hard to get through those years. And um, Rachel had a, had a, a period of very poor mental health at that time in her life. But as she also describes, she did recover. And one of the things that helped her recover was poetry. Now, everybody's... I mean, not everybody. Some people are going to go, what? Poetry? But it, listen to the interview because she describes the impact of poetry really well, I think. I think so too. Uh, and uh, just to give you the gist of the book, which is called... You'll never walk alone. Thank you. Uh, it takes you through the seasons, so uh, spring, summer, autumn, winter, and poems that have something to do with all of those and explains how that takes you on a journey through the highs and lows of your life too. Uh, so she started by telling us a little bit more about her own journey coping with mental health. We got to rewind uh, to my 30s when I suffered the first of two very severe depressive episodes. Um what, what happened was one night I, I couldn't get to sleep and I don't know if any of your listeners have insomnia. I, I later learned it was a very characteristic of kind of anxiety-driven depression. But with this insomnia came some quite alarming physical symptoms. I remember my heart rate speeded up. I felt a bit like I might have a sort of gym shoe, you know, like that sound of a gym shoe going around a, a washing machine, sort of thump, thump, thump. And my, my thoughts were racing, you know, if I didn't get up, if I didn't get to sleep, I wouldn't be able to get up. If I didn't get up, I wouldn't get to work. If I didn't get to work, I'd lose the house, lose the children. The whole My whole life would collapse. I also remember feeling very, very nauseous and a very frightening feeling of falling. Anyway, being a sort of supposedly high-functioning person, I, I, I kept going. And the next morning, I thought I'd sort of refasten activity to its normal timetable. Um, but unfortunately, I got iller and iller. And after sort of three days and three nights of this, I'm, I found myself in hospital and uh, when I got there, I, I, I thought that I must be having a heart attack because I felt so incredibly ill. And the doctor sat me down and he said, no, I'm not a, a cardiologist. I'm, I'm a psychiatrist. So that, that was the start of it. Rather dramatic. Um, I had a stressful life. I was a, a journalist in the newsroom, two small children. Life blew up, went, went to hospital, um, took about six months to sort of get back on track, took an awful lot of drugs through that period. And that would have been the end of the story. But unfortunately, I'm, I crashed again a few years later, had a second one of these huge depressive episodes. And that time I was ill for the for the best part of a couple of years. Um, and I, I knew it was a couple of years because um, I couldn't pick up my ch- children, same children that we bumped into you yeah. uh, when I bumped into you, Jane. But yeah, so he was one of one of these children was given a prize for bravery for for the fact I was out of action for so long. 
Um, so that yeah, that that was really the, the the start of this journey into mental health and trying to understand you know, what is good mental health? How can we have it? What can we do to look after ourselves? And the conversation around mental health has really changed um, spectacularly in the last decade in the sense that, well, we're having one for a start, but we're having quite an explicit one. And I, I wonder whether you think you'd have coped better or worse before this new openness. What, what, what do you think? Well, I think actually it would have been really helpful if that the openness that exists now had existed, especially after the first episode, because even though my um, employers were very sympathetic, um, in a way, the stigma was my own stigma and um, the felt that the fa- the shame sort of feeling that there was something wrong with me, that it was really sort of internal. So so what it meant was that I just shut the topic down and I, I didn't get any help at all. Um, and I didn't really, um, you know, after the initial help in hospital and things like that, I then I then didn't seek to sort of, uh, find good tools to look after myself or even realize that there were good things that I could have done and I think if I had if had a more open conversation if the conversation had been more open then you know maybe I would have got more support and I wouldn't have been so ill uh, the second time and you know I don't re- regret having been so ill because it, yeah. it sort of led to an interesting life and and working with people like Sane but 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 I wouldn't wish it on anyone no uh, severe mental illness. Well, no, I, I think a lot of people are very grateful to you for your your honesty about what you went through. And I hope we've established now in the minds of anybody listening who hasn't heard your story that you really do know what you're talking about here. You have absolutely been there. I'm just looking out of the window here across to the walkie-talkie on the other side of the Thames across London Bridge. It is a gorgeous late afternoon in winter. The sun just beginning to set. I mean, it's glinting off all the buildings. It looks wonderful. But we all know it'll be dark in about 40 minutes. And Rachel, your book is, there's a connection between the poems you've chosen and the seasons. And this is a tough time of year for a lot of people, isn't it? Yes, I, I think it is. Um, the Sort of the lack of light and, and sort of going into winter. But I, I did want to establish this idea of sort of the seasons of our mind. It's actually something that poets themselves use a lot. Um, we can think of sort of Shakespeare in the sort of winter of our discontent and Keats talk about Keats also talks about the sort of different seasons of our mind and so I think one of the things I'm trying to do going back to poetry as a sort of therapeutic approach to to our emotional well-being is that you know we we do have different seasons we have a sort of darker winter season we have a a more spring-like hopeful season a a summer a summer season of joy perhaps an autumn season of reflection but they're all they're all valid and important and actually I think one of the things I've learned is that if we want to sort of stay calm and well, we we have to allow and accept, you know, dark times as well as as well as sunnier times. So they're all part of the sort of rich tapestry, and that that's why I, I like this idea of the different seasons of our of our kind of emotional well being. Are these poems contained in your book? You'll never walk alone. Ones that you very much loved before you became ill, or ones that kind of befriended you during and after your illness. Yeah, so I, I think my sort of my kind of strong connection with poetry, and I, I was lovely that you called me an expert, but I'm, I'm really more of an enthusiast. I, when I was really ill, I, I really did look for poems for very difficult times and to find that solace and a feeling that others had been there and that they'd found words for what I was going through. Because I think one of the real characteristics of severe depression is this kind of incredible feeling of isolation and, and nowhere else, no one else has been there. But well, it turns out poets, many poets have, and, and that's incredibly consoling. But but I decided to go back uh, to the topic of poetry. I, I did mention it quite a bit in my first book, as you say, Black Rainbow Poetry for Difficult Times, because my mum died um, nearly four years ago now. And I and I think what she taught me was that actually 
we need to sort of in, inhabit poems for sort of joyous times as well and and sort of and 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 sort of really go into those feelings of 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 joy just as much as finding poetry for consolation so that's why this this new book is a sort of almost my second act in terms of my relationship with poetry and and that's what my mum's death uh gave me i mean she actually um she died she died in my arms actually um and uh she 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 was that generation you know she had a, he- a head richly stocked with verse and she knew so much poetry off by heart but a lot of it was really joyous and and that's something that um i've been trying to focus on is you know li- lining up with the joy as much as the consolation a lot can happen in the next 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Rachel Kelly is our guest this afternoon and her book is called You'll Never Walk Alone, Poems for Life's Ups and Downs. Uh, Shall we start with a down and then we might go to an up and an all too familiar poem, I think, if you know a bit about poetry. Perhaps you wouldn't even need to know a bit about poetry. It's Not Waving But Drowning by Stevie Smith, uh, one that you've chosen for the book, Rachel. Why in particular? Yes, well, I, I've got this in my kind of winter section, uh, sort of time for sadness, you might think. I mean, Stevie Smith herself uh, suffered terrible depression, was, was a huge influence on all sorts of other poets who also wrote about dark times, people like uh, Sylvia Plath. And to me, it's just uh, such a, a sort of extraordinary poem for sort of resonating with my own sort of inability, really, to, to be open uh, initially about what was happening to me. Um, I think the last two lines just just sort of punched me in the face, really. Um, I was much too far out all my life and not waving, but drowning. And and I think uh, that feeling that, um, you know, you, you actually experience something, but you're not able to 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 talk openly about it uh, was was very true for me. Um, and that that uh, sense of, uh, you know, maybe you know, if the poem tells people anything that actually it is worth being open and it is worth uh, being honest about what's going on. I mean, I think there's a phrase of being a smiling depressive. Mm. Um, we, the observers of this person who's having a laugh, a hard time 
says um, he always loved larking and now he's dead. So he, he gives this impression he's OK and he's far from OK. I think we've got time, Rachel, and it's quite a short poem. Would you, would you mind just reading it? Yes, sure. Of course. Um, Not Waving But Drowning by Stevie Smith. Nobody heard him, the dead man, but still he laid moaning. I was much further out than you thought and not waving but drowning. Poor chap. He always loved larking and now he's dead. It must have been too cold for him. His heart gave way, they said. Oh, no, no, no. It was too cold always. Still the dead one lay moaning. I was much too far out all my life and not waving but drowning. Thank you for doing that, Rachel. I think um, the onus is on the rest of us, isn't it, to to look at people in a, a more rounded way and not just to assume that the way they present themselves superficially is actually who they are. It's not easy to do, though, always, is it? And some people don't let you in. Yes, I, I, I think the poem is interesting for the fact that it it presents a sort of a physical explanation when in fact the the problem was mental you know there's this idea that you know his his heart gave way and maybe that's an interesting idea that um as you say if it, if it is difficult for someone to be open you might start with a physical symptom i think you know when we started chatting i was telling you about how dramatic those physical symptoms were and almost anybody who is suffering from anxiety or depression they'll, they'll they may have digestive problems they may not be sleeping and that can be a really good way in to opening up that discussion because there is still some stigma around uh, stigma around even though as you say we've made huge progress and it is also really really good uh, to remember how to embrace the joy isn't it and sometimes in the conversations about mental health I wonder whether we could do more to talk about recovery uh, to talk about finding that kind of place of contentment or where you are just feeling a bit more in control I mean certainly some of the poems as you head in the book towards spring and summer, they do remind you of the joy of life, don't they? I think that's right. And actually, I think sometimes you're absolutely right. The conversation can get a bit too gloomy. I mean, recovery rates are actually quite good. I mean, even serious depression, it's, a, it's around sort of 70% people do do recover. And and even if people don't kind of, quote, recover, they often find good ways to manage it. Um, I'd say that the sort of um, the poem Love by George Herbert um, exactly... Um, it kind of encapsulates uh, a kind of uh, a darkness. He's got an amazing expression in that poem of actually perfectly for me describes depression. He says he feels guilty of dust and sin, but yet uh, there's a different voice in the poem, which is the voice of hope and love and compassion. And I, I think we all have those different voices. And one of the ways to recover and the one of the ways I've recovered is to, to line up, as you say, with that more hopeful uh, positive voice, um, which, which is in within within all of us. Mm. Uh, one poem I'd never come across before is A Blessing by James Wright. Can you just talk a little bit about that? It's very beautiful. I'll just read the first couple uh, of verses. Just off the highway to Rochester, Minnesota, twilight bounds softly forth on the grass and the eyes of those two Indian ponies darken with kindness. They've come gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into the pasture where they've been grazing all day alone. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. It's really beautiful. It's very evocative about animals and nature. Forgive my ignorance, is it a very famous poem? 
Um, I don't know, actually. As I say, I'm, I'm sort of an enthusiast. I mean, I, I do run poetry workshops and often people bring amazing poems that I, I didn't know about before. I, I think for me, that's such a, a wonderful poem because it's part of the theme of the book and the sort of using this device of the seasons is because there is such consolation to be found in nature. The whole, you know, it's called biophilia, the whole idea of natural beauty and and this sense of connection I mean I think again a big part of my own recovery is you know partly reconnecting with myself but connecting with others and here in this poem there's this sense of this kind of connection with these two beautiful horses and this sort of stepping off the tarmac and into this extraordinary kind of natural beauty and it actually ends with um, an amazing idea of, of, of a sort of communion a kind of connection between the horses and him and the kind of a wider spirit you might say um, and maybe that sounds a bit woohoo but maybe that's what poetry does it allows us to kind of go deeper um, and my mum always used to say that she used to say go deeper when things uh, you know when you were trying to sort of navigate feelings and actually maybe this again is a huge thing for me why poetry is so important is I think a lot of us are in our heads you know we think 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 and that's all well and good there's a role for cognitive making sense but actually to be at one with our feelings and to allow and inhabit our feelings is 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 such an important part of good mental health and that's what these poems do they sort of take us deep into our feelings and all feelings are okay you know that's that's what poets poems do they kind of connect with a a, a sort of deeper uh, sort of more primitive part of us, really. Yeah, I have uh, to say, there was one poem, uh, Rachel, by Anne Sexton, um, the, sick- yeah, the Sickness terrible. Unto Death. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, the poor woman was obviously in absolute turmoil. Um, yeah, um, no, that that is a very, it is a very, very dark poem. It's got an extraordinary image, which actually spoke to me about having to have something to hold on to. She she feels she's falling and and I'm I'm very, you know, she 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 did take her own life. And I mean lots of people have said to me, well, why have you got, you know, these very, very dark poems? Where's where's the consolation in that? And I think for me there's something about the sheer creativity that even in the depths of that darkness, you know, someone like Anne Sexton chose to put words to what was happening. And there's something consoling in that um that that a creativity is born even in this incredible darkness. That was Rachel Kelly and her new book, if you fancy it, was called You'll Never Walk Alone. It's available now. It's one of those books that's rather lovely to keep by your bed or somewhere where you can just rest rest a bit with it and just maybe read, I don't know, one poem a day or something for a, for a couple of months. It will see you right mm. and actually be a nice companion. I'm not very bold about poetry, Jane, because it falls into that category where I think I don't know enough about it, so therefore whatever I read I might be missing something. Well, that's kind of what she said at the end there, because I wanted reassurance that you don't you don't have to understand it, because maybe even the writer doesn't fully understand it and what might look one way on the page to one individual might read in a completely different way to somebody else and if it gives you comfort who's to say don't don't question it um also on the live radio show today we talked to a man from was it the naturist society of great britain uh, british naturists is just what it's called it's just mark called bass british, mark yeah. bass yeah was it bass or bass well i'm gonna say bass in the podcast i said bass on air Right, okay, so um, you've got everything right at some point, anyway, that's always good. Um, and he was a, actually a rather serious gentleman, wasn't he? And I think the problem with naturism is that to those of us who are not, who don't embrace embrace it as a lifestyle, it's a bit funny. But for people who 
live it and do it, there's nothing even remotely amusing about it. <laughs> no, but well, why are you laughing? Because you were the one who cracked the when he said. <laughs> he gave me it. It was an open goal. He said, uh, not everybody's a card-carrying naturist. And you said, well, there's nowhere to put your card. <laughs> Yeah. But the then, problem, no, then I realised, of course, that in the 21st century, everyone's a lanyard wearer. So you could be a naturist and just wear your lanyard? Yes, absolutely. Oh, you'd get a funny suntan, wouldn't you? Oh, so now I do, I completely understand the point, and it must be, you know, bordering on offensive to hear people, you know, kind of tittering their way through a conversation about nakedness if, if, it, if it carries no kind of uh, embarrassment for you but that's why we're laughing isn't it because you and I would find if we were doing this podcast naked together we would find it embarrassing so the go-to place is to laugh and uh, have a bit of a kind of and also there's fanar, the fanar about assumption it. that it's sexual and it, it just it's not apparently I mean I say apparently it's not um but there's also it's simply I mean and the the journalist who wrote the original story in the Times, Valentine Lowe, knew exactly what he was doing because he mentions things like badminton, yeah, tempin bowling, yeah. Well, so immediately you think, well, it's going to be a certain amount of, well, it's just it, there's going to be inevitable jiggling of things that you don't necessarily want to see bouncing about. <laughs> well, yes, there is that, and that's the problem. Anyway. So, Last word on this podcast, but you're very welcome to get in touch with us about it. No, I've got another email. Yeah, no, no, I was just about the nature oh, okay. thing before the email. Um, so I just, I do feel slightly sorry for people who object to naturists being in their neck of the woods because I, I wouldn't actually want to walk past a naturist event with my kids when they were younger and have to explain why it was that those people did something that I had really strongly told them never to do because of the uh, unsafe nature of, oh, yes. of, you know, young kids running around naked. And, you know, and, and I wanted my kids to understand that if there was an adult, apart from, you know, uh, me and, uh, and their dad, uh, asking them to be naked or being naked with them, that was wrong. So that's yeah, what the it, problem is. You're right, it's confusing. Yeah. It's, the messages are all very... So you're allowed to be annoyed by it. You're allowed to object to it. Yeah, no, I, honestly, I think I made the point on the live show that uh, if I were out for a, a ramble... I... <laughs> <laughs> yes? <laughs> Let me finish this sentence. It's not funny. If I were out for a country walk, I would need due warning that I was about to encounter... <laughs> Some naked rambles. Some rambling naked folk. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is from Lisa. Love the podcast. Wanted to drop a line as Grace Dent. Are you ready for this? Is actually forty nine, not forty three, as V stated, which makes her amazing. I mean, she looked incredible. Really incredible. One thing that I discovered, though I cannot believe it would be news to you, was just looking for Fee on Instagram and putting in Fee Glover was disconcerted by the content that appeared. Then I looked closer and I realised that Fee Glover also reads as fig lover. I can't be the first person to notice this, surely, but it did make me giggle, says Lisa. That's okay. Yeah, so um, it has it has, has cropped up times yeah. before. Yeah. Um, but I do think that we need to do an item on the programme very soon about not drinking, just as we head towards Christmas. And Grace Dent was extolling the virtues of her teetotal lifestyle, which is relatively recent. And uh, she just seemed to, it seemed to be really suiting her. Yes, she seemed to be bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and, I mean, she's always on the money in terms of words and stuff, but how long had she stopped drinking for, can you remember? 
I think it was only, it was less than a year. Okay. Yeah. It's a, we, we can't unfortunately do this immediately because tomorrow's big guest is talking about cocktails. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> so we'll put Which, that on the back burner, yep. put it in the idea of drawers or the drawer of ideas and uh, return to it. I like the idea of drawers. Let's keep it. Let's, but let's make a label. And put it on well, something that's in the probably, office. That's the anti-naturist slogan. I like the idea of drawers. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. OK, well, think of me tonight anyway when I'm working and I'll be thinking of you enjoying yourself at the parents' evening on Zoom. Oh, dear. Thanks, miss. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com